Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Hey, Jessa. Would you like to introduce our guest today? Yes, we have a Lindsay Lachelle of Diamond and Branch. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, for sure. I'm happy to be here. And Jessica, tell us how we know Lindsay, how we were, how we were introduced. I was thinking about this. This is um, how we usually start off is how we got connected to our guests. And you and I connected on LinkedIn at some point over something. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not exactly sure what it was. And then we reconnected recently because we were referred to the group Business for Good. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were ISOS group actually recommended oh. Business for Good as a resource. And then you were very kind and actually welcomed us to the group when we signed up as a new member. And we're like, we don't know what to make of this. And so we reached out on LinkedIn and connected, which was so great. And then we had our introductory call and we're like, oh, like you're, you're our people. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and we're like, we have to have you on the podcast. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to do it. Great. So you're, or sorry, Laurel, did you want to? I was just going to say, we're going to talk about what it means to be a purpose-driven organization. And I think that's what attracted us to you so much is because you're, you're leaving and doing it and going for it. So um, before we get to Diamond and Branch and Business for Good, Give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you found yourself being. How the heck did I get here? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I really do feel like this, this thing I'm doing now is like, I, I I have had like professional pathways of doing things. Right. And then this other sort of like purpose pathway that I was navigating, but they, this is the first time they've come together and that's, uh, I could talk about it forever but I'll tell you about the pathway. So I, previous jobs I have had, I worked for um, a bunch of funded startups during the first dot-com boom. Like that basically started, uh, I finished Cal. Uh, so I was in the Bay Area at the moment when the, the first like bubble was forming. And so that was a fascinating experience. And then it popped and I also got really sort of, um, you know, like disillusioned and I wanted to do something better. And so that's when I went back to school. I got my teaching credential. I taught fourth and fifth grade in Oakland Unified and then in Richmond, which is the same as Oakland, but like without the brand recognition. Right. And then I got recruited back into technology and I worked with a, um, like a lean startup model. One, one entrepreneur, we were a serial entrepreneur and he just bootstrapped everything over and over and over again, based on how good the last one was. Right. So that was an amazing experience and got really passionate about um, data-driven decision-making and that kind of stuff. Um, And then from there, I went into agencies. And so I worked for a couple different agencies, always um, pretty small, always run by the male founder. Um, But the, the clients that we worked with were really a huge range. And so I would show up, I would be the content specialist, the report, the analytics specialist, the SEO, uh, 
specialist. Like basically all of those things was like nobody else on the team. They they would have content writers or they, you know, whatever. But I was the one that had that sort of strategic expertise. Um, and that was amazing. I got, I got to do things like set the social media strategy and then execute it for USA.gov. Right. Like really, like yeah. really crazy. Yeah. Like really at the time I was doing that, I was like, I hate this. And my boss was like, shut up. This is the best thing on your resume. Like, <laughs> you know, like we, I was not my thing, but um, yeah. So I did like all kinds of cool stuff like that. And then after a couple of very consistent patterns of like me being excellent in my work and really, really loving the, the um, experience of working with clients and all that kind of stuff and not getting promoted like I felt like I should be. Like I didn't know I was ambitious until I stopped getting opportunities, basically. So yeah, so there came a time where I was like, had to leave the agency I was in, um, spent a bunch of time looking for something else, didn't come along. And so finally I was just like, all right, well, I'm gonna do this myself then. And that was five years ago. Yeah, it's very inspirational. Thank you. A lot of listeners, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, I'm sure they have those moments in time where they're like, I hate what I'm doing. This is probably going to look good on my resume. And then you have that aha moment where you're like, hold up. I'm meant for more. I need to be doing more. And yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. Yeah. I mean, when I started to see things like my boss would have me write the proposal and then not have me be in the room to pitch it. Uh. Right. Stuff like that. Right. Where if I was in the room, we always won the work, you know? And so there's just like stuff like that, that just started to like pile up and show me that I wasn't there. I actually had one of my bosses tell me straight up, like he didn't want me to have more influence or control in the organization than I already had. So he wasn't going to make me a director. That was never going to happen. Um, and, you know, and of course, and that's when I was just like, Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so you don't Leadership want the money. Lesson. <laughs> you don't, yeah. You don't, you don't want the money that I could be generating for your agency. Okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm right. going to take my toys and go home. So yeah, that. you're too good. I don't want you to overshadow me. Like, oh, that's, that's what it yeah, felt like. That's yeah. really disheartening. I mean, it worked out for you and luckily you weren't someone who just accepted that, but it's, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people have, uh, similar challenges in their careers where, like you said, they're not given those opportunities. And it's wonderful that you recognized and were able to make the change because it's scary and it's a risk. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. when you have that faith and confidence in yourself and you know you can do it, it's, it's I mean, it's just so cliche, but it's riskier to like stay there and not try and be unhappy and just be a worker bee. So yeah. I was, I was unhappy and the, the, the risk I was taking didn't feel like anything compared to how miserable I was. So I had a job like that ages ago. It was a little different because I didn't take a big risk jump to a new one, but Mm -hmm. I remember I was only there for a few months and it was toxic work culture. I was told to do some literally things that were illegal and I'm like, this is not right. Like I'm not okay with this. And it was during the recession in 2008, it was February 2009. And I remember seeing on a graph, it was literally when San Diego had the highest unemployment rate in the last 15 years. And I just quit. I just walked in one day. I was like, um, I was like, this, I'm not going to work it. anymore. And they're like, okay, well, when's your last day? I'm like, whenever. I don't have another job. I'm just not going to work here. And like, <laughs> like, let's get you going. And I remember having this epiphany that I was like at a fast food restaurant, which is fine. But like at this point, my career and I had a degree and 
had some experience. And I remember seeing a job at this fast food place being like, I would rather work here than do what I'm being asked to do at this other place. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I left and it was great. I remember, I will never forget that feeling of freedom leaving and the sun was shining and I was like leaving really early in the morning at like 8 a.m. I was just like, yes. And everyone's <laughs> like, aren't you afraid? Like, aren't you worried? I can't believe you don't have another job. I was like, no, no. I was worried about staying there and like being in prison for some white collar crime. But uh, I was like, it'll work out. And, uh, you know, I'm still waiting on that. No, but uh, I, I was going to say, you were alert. I think we're doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Did you, so Lindsay, did you then, was that when you started Diamond and Branch? Was that after you left that company, just like, I'm starting my own thing? And yeah. was that, like, were you teeing up and like your, was that a, was there a transition period before you officially launched Diamond and Branch? Like, how did that, how did you make that jump? So I had talked to, I had one client who is wonderful. He is still my client and he had been with me through a couple different agencies. And so I went to him privately and I was like, I'm thinking about going out on my own. And he was like, cool, I'm your first client. So I knew I had a little bit of monthly recurring revenue working for him and that was great. And then the agency actually that I quit was negotiating contract work for me so that I could keep doing some of the stuff that they didn't have any internal expertise that ended up falling through um, for whatever reason we don't know but in the end um, it was a tremendously tense time because my husband at that time was unemployed so I was quitting my job as the breadwinner as like the only reliable source of income in order to start this thing. And I swear to God, I did not have a choice. Like I had to do it. And so uh, we, <laughs> I took out a personal loan with my car as, as collateral and then um, worked. All my branding was just myself um, as an independent consultant for the rest of the year. So that was in April. And I worked just um, like I had subcontractors and, you know, was sort of starting to like build and sell. And at that point, um, lots of people, this is such a like good lesson for me for like fundraising and you see it there all the time too, but like um, people really want to help like an underdog. People really want to, like, they loved that I was like this scrappy little, like, we don't even have an agency brand, but we know what we're, what we're doing. And like, so I, it was the, the clients that I got in the first year were not a good fit for the long term, but really good clients at the time. So I was able to grow and then invest in the branding and we got an office and sort of like grew up so that by the time a year had passed, we looked like a grown up agency. I had, um, two full-time and two part-time employees in addition to myself. And so, yeah, it was, it was good. That, that felt like a, um, just a lot of validation over and over again, you know? And what, um, I'm sure there was a lot of services you could provide. What did you decide was your niche and your, your value add? Yeah, it really, it really does stick right in those things that I was describing when I was bringing to those other agencies. So for us, it's always been, strategy, content, and analysis, right? It's like, first of all, we need to get clear on like, who are you and who are you talking to and why should they care? And like really, really break that down. And then one of the specific things that I see other organizations really struggle with that we do really well is take that strategy and 
turn it into tactics in a way that really does embody that strategy. Like I see so many organizations that are like, here's our personas. And then you go look on their website and it's like, how, in what way does this connect with your personas? Like, it's nice that you know who you're talking to, but if you're not building it for them, then you're going to miss something. So that's like, we have a, we have um, some like sort of strategic tools that help us make sure that we're hitting the mark. And then I also like, I'm data driven. I want to see it work. And so that's why the analysis is always a big piece for us is like, hold ourselves accountable. We're not mercenaries, right? We're, I'm trying to help real business owners be better. And so I don't, I don't like taking money and not being able to prove that there's value generated. Yeah, true. <laughs> right. I'm Wait. just uh, like, especially marketing agencies and especially marketing agencies that like run a lot of campaign, like do a lot of paid campaigns. Right. It's like, it's so mercenary. They just do the thing and put it out there and like, Hey, congratulations, $40,000. you got a billboard. <laughs> hope, hope your phone rings, you know? Yeah. And when you were setting up diamond and branch, um, you mentioned that it was like you, you were the brand and you did the consulting before you grew and added some people. What did your um, process look like for setting up what your culture was going to be and what were the kind of people you wanted to employ and attract? So how did you form your mission, vision, values, your purpose, and all of that? Yeah, that's cool. Um, so we didn't do – if I had my life to live over again, there's a framework from Noble that I really like that mm -hmm. is about – is uh, that you can use to, like, set all that stuff up, and that's what I would do if I was starting from scratch – um, but at the time I was still very much learning what we were going to be. And so when I was looking for employees, the culture, and this is a reflection, honestly, of my, um, my teacher training, <laughs> right? When I was getting my teaching credential, the program was specifically designed for white teachers in contexts where most of the students were not white. And um, so that was, uh, you know, tremendous lessons in privilege, but also in um, empowerment and inclusion and all that sort of stuff. And so the way that I always was as a boss was um, that like when somebody started, it was like, okay, cool, we're going to give you this little area and you're going to be the absolute master of everything in this range. And if you've got questions, come to me, but like, I know this is, I know this is where you can, you can succeed. So just keep being awesome right there. And as soon as you show me that you're, you can always be awesome in this space, then we'll give you more space and then we'll do it more and we'll do it more. And so that is people show themselves real quickly. You can see like there's, there's some people are like always looking over the fence. Like they're they're They think they're masters of this place and they're like, but what's over there? What's over there? It's like, man, this, this, <laughs> right. And then there's some people that, are ex, you know, they're masters of that space and they don't want the fence to get bigger, you know? And so I really sort of like, we talked about this metaphor openly with a team because I would, you know, I would tell people there was one employee that I would just be like, I know you think you're not ready for that, but I know you are. And so we're going to set you up. We're going to give you all the tools and then I'm going to have your back and we'll talk about it all the time. Right. But I was a very, um, I have incredibly high expectations for, I don't like just how you be at work, right? Like, yes, we speak to each other respectfully. Like I've been in so many toxic work environments. And so first of all, like, I don't need any of that. But also it's like, 
I have a literal script for delegation so that when I ask you to do a thing and you tell me you're going to do a thing, we have a commitment and I never have to ask you again. You just give it to me on time. And that is like, that's just one of my favorite. I actually taught a webinar about that, like that, our, our uh, delegation and empowerment script last week. And I love it because to me, this is, and here's the best part of my job. It's because the point of it is to help founders like me, right? Small hustlers who are like purpose-driven women, people of color, whatever. If you can get delegation right, then you save so much time yep. and your business can grow better, right? That's the same for me as marketing. Like if you get marketing right, when you are a new organization, it will set you up for so much strength and success as you grow. And so that's how I took this thing that is like marketing and turned it into a purpose, right? It's like the thing I'm doing is empowering purposeful, purpose-driven entrepreneurs to have stronger organizations. What I'm picking up from you is like, Clarity, I, and I've said this phrase, I can't remember where it comes from, but clarity is is kind. Oh, it's from mm. radical change. Yeah. No, radical candor, radical candor. Clarity right. is kind, unclear is unkind. And we want to be kind. Like, you're like, how do I want people to, like, be at work? Well, obviously, to have a non-toxic work culture, it's genuine kindness. Yeah. And the only way that you're going to attract and get that from people is if you demonstrate that as a leader. And I yeah. see you taking that leadership role seriously by saying, I'm going to be very clear and you're going to be very clear and it'll be easy. You just yep. do that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I had a boss that if he ever had any negative or neutral feedback, um, he would wait and give it after he'd had a couple of beers at an after hours work event. That was, that was what he needed to do in order to be brave enough to give an employee feedback on their performance. And it's just like, well, he's just so scared. It's just so, he's so fearful and scared. That's so, against, against confrontation. I mean, I'm, I'm like that. I might, I, well, I'm probably not like that as much as I used to be, but my <laughs> baseline is, oh, I don't want to talk about this. This is uncomfortable for me. And then I have to say like, okay, this is, this is wrong. Like it's like a very conscious thought process to be like, you don't want to do this. This is making you uncomfortable, which means you should probably do it or like going outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And, and it's always fine. And like, I felt so bad. I remember this one person who I worked with when there was any like, constructive critical feedback was take it very um, personally and like get really red. And mm -hmm. I felt so bad because I can see this like physical reaction of how this person's feeling. And I want to be like, yeah. no, like this isn't that big a deal. We're just all trying to do this better. Like, so yeah. that's why I'm telling you. So we're like getting on the right path. Um, so I think it's really hard for leaders to do, but you have to realize that doing it is setting you up for growth and the person and the people that you're working um, with for growth as well. Otherwise, it's yeah. just like a terrible cycle. Um, and it's when you're talking about fun thing to do, like it's a nice thing for you to say that, to like speak up, Jessa, and be like, this is how you can grow and do better. That's like the nice and respectful and loving thing to do. Right. Yeah. Even though it feels like, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> 
Delegate, check. Um, <laughs> but I was going to ask you, when you were talking about delegation, that's something I talk with people about so much because, and I'm guilty of this, but I see a lot of people, you know, I like we're at the stage in our careers where a lot of our peers are in leadership positions and going into leadership positions um, and they are overworked. And it's like, you're never going to grow if you can't delegate. And like, well, I can't trust my team or I don't have time to train them. I'm like, well, they're going to mess up and they're going to do it wrong. And that's okay. Um, you know, I'm not talking to like doctors here or something. I'm like right. talking to people in the business world and right. things are going to be okay. And they might mess up and let them fail and have those conversations about how they can do better. Yeah. And so with delegation, um, like you, you said about, I like, we have this kind of like, you know, verbal contract or social contract where I ask you to do something and you're going to do it on time. And something that I see, Sorry, I'm kind of talking in circles. Speaking about clear is kind. Um, when, you, <laughs> when clear is kind, I think something that leaders struggle with is like, especially entrepreneurs, and like they want something and they want it now. And so when they're delegating things, they aren't being clear and realistic with the timelines that they're getting. And yeah. so then they're not getting things by, t it's like this vicious cycle because they're not getting things when they want get, to get them. Now they don't trust the person to get it on time, but they also don't understand the time it takes and the steps. So what's your, yeah, there's an answer. That? Oh, there's an answer. And the, I feel like the whole world can be divided into managers who can accept this and managers who absolutely cannot. But the, the answer is that the doer right in our, in our delegation accountability script, it's called the asker and the doer, right? The doer needs to be empowered to say no. Because otherwise, their yes doesn't mean anything, right? So it's only only when they have uh, have a full understanding of what they've committed to and what they understand their responsibilities are, then can you actually trust that when they say they're going to do a thing, they have the capacity and the responsibility and they're going to do it. And so that's the thing as a boss you got to give people runway, you got to give people control, you got to give them the context for the work. And then you have to hear them when they say no, and find a way we call it renegotiate, right? You got to find a way to renegotiate. If it's like, I can't do that report, because I promised to do this strategy brief, then we take a look at the bigger picture. And we say, okay, does that strategy brief need to be delivered on this timeline? Or is there someone else that can do it since you're the only one that can do the report? Or whatever, right? You got to work. That, it's that, it's, I mean, it's a traffic manager in like the smallest sense, but yeah. that's like an externalized version of that, right? Like it's so much better to have every person responsible for knowing what their own work is and being in control of their own destiny from that point of view. So yeah. I mean, I have a concrete example of where this went awry. Um, you know, I worked in a public agency and it, there's you're entrusted with the public funds. So there's this big responsibility mm. bearing and, and we all believe, you know, that the noblest motive is the public good. So everyone's like, I'm coming here to do good work. And then the bureaucracy of it all lends itself to distrust, to mistrust. You can't say no, you must say yes, but only yes to certain things. And you, but you can never say no. So you got to figure out many ways of saying yes in ways that you're, not comfortable. And it always felt like, um, 
I, at the time I was struggling with the people pleaser mentality. And so, mm. Oh, it's the worst. But I'm, I'm so, I'm so, I used to be super competitive. So if somebody gave me a task, I'm like, I'm going to do it so good. And I'm going to get it done. <laughs> I'm going to win. And it was never good enough. It was never right. It was never good enough. And, um, and that was because the communication was unclear. The expectations were unclear. Right. The workload capacity and the work program was unclear. It was all unclear and it all stemmed from no foundation of trust. It was just, oh, you're going to mess up and I can't. And then when you do mess up, I'm not going to take responsibility for it. I'm going to throw right. you on the bus. And it's that's like, right. that's the opposite of what we do in business yeah. for good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really, I, I, I have that rant. I don't need to deliver it now, but it, it does really, it, it does. It's very bothersome to me how the overlap of nonprofits and purpose-driven organizations and toxic work environments is so strong. And it's, it's, it's really like, that's, that's a thing I'd like to fix because it sucks. Yeah. So you want to fix you. Are you saying that the nonprofit business is a force for good and toxic work cultures are very, very similar? Like they're too similar. My experience is that nonprofits are are ha the culture of the nonprofit that's built around the purpose, right? When they're like, "We're here to do a thing," that becomes so much more important than even being an ethical employer, right? Mm -hmm. And so you get like that's it becomes a toxic work environment because you're all here for the cause. And so they think they can ask you for all this overtime and everybody's under-resourced and everybody's stressed out and nobody can say no, nobody can get it right. And there's, it's like all of these systems and they're allowed to exist because it's purpose-driven. It's like this shit wouldn't be this way if it were a for-profit organization because people would quit because it sucks. But in a, <laughs> But when, but when you're committed to the cause and so that, so that like, I just, I've seen it over and over and over again. And it's like in all sectors of nonprofit, by the way, like I worked in, in a nonprofit theaters, that's not a sustainable model. Like there's not, there's not enough money to pay for the work that is happening the way that our like current performing arts systems are set out. Everybody's being taken advantage of. And then it, Public that, education. I, I could go on forever, but this is, this is, that's the point. That is a really refreshing perspective and point of view that we have yet to hear on the Orion mm -hmm. podcast. I'm grateful that you shared that because huh. challenging my understanding, I always looked at, looked at, not always, I recently looked at nonprofits and public agencies as good hearted, doing the best they can, but they're mm -hmm. understaffed and under resourced and we just must forgive them and rely upon the private sector to solve all the problems more efficiently and effectively because we're powered by capitalism and, and competition and you know we gotta do it. And this whole idea of business as a force for good is like the merger between the nonprofit and traditional right. capitalism. It's it's the way you the way you solve problems and scale good in a way that agencies and nonprofits can't solve problems or scale good. Right. And I, and I, I reject the premise that uh, nonprofits don't have the resources. They, 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 they don't have the resources to prioritize making, making their organization like a healthy working environment. Like that's a, they, it's not built into your model 
that you have to be exploitative of your employees. That's 100% not how this works. That's a choice you're making. That's a priority you're making. It is a culture of under-resourced and over overcommitted, and it's that's false. It doesn't have to be that way. It just is. I wrote that's, um, sorry, that's an interesting, I've never, like Laurel said, I echo that. I haven't, I've heard, you know, some things about the culture and like in nonprofit worlds, but it's, I haven't thought about it from like motivation where it's like some employers motivate by fear, like fear of losing your job and they motivate by guilt. Like if you're not bought into this or if you're not working overtime, putting in weekends, then you don't care. Yeah. Um, so that's unfortunate. And like if that were the exact same employer, but they were a for-profit, everybody would be up in arms about like what a terrible place to work, right? So yeah, this is this is the one place, because I've worked across so many different types of organizations and so many different capacities, for sure, businesses need to get more on board with being purpose-driven. Like that is, that's an easy like cross-pollination that needs to go that way. But the other way is like, let's talk about some, like, first of all, data driven in your business practices, (laughs) right? Let's talk about being humane in the way that you treat your employees and like understand uh, their contribution and value. And um, for some of our listeners who aren't on the up and up in the business as a force for good movement, Mm. explain to us what purpose driven means to you. I will. So, so I've got it on three different levels for me. Um, the first is just the work that we do, right, is about supporting underrepresented entrepreneurs. And so that's a purpose. Like, I didn't realize how much entrepreneurship sucked until I got into it myself. And so now I'm like very, very committed to making that as like much easier and better for um, the people that I want to see have more power in, in our culture. So that, so that's like, that purpose is just lucky me. I figured out how to make my skill set and my values, like do the same thing. Right. But then we are a certified B corporation and that is a bunch of work and yeah, yeah, as you guys are. And so that basically takes the premise that you can be a for-profit company and be very profitable and also spend a bunch of your resources and time um, making the world a better place outside of your business model. So it's like irrelevant of your business model. We're looking for like ethical treatment of humans and the environment and your local community and like stuff like that. So um, I'm super proud to get that. It was actually a very easy process for us because we don't have things like supply chain and like complicated, like carbon, you know, there's no carbon math really. And um, so that, that was awesome. Cause it just was a validation for me that we just got it last year, last fall. Yay, congratulations. That, um, we are who we say we are, right? That's what that was for me. It's like, I'm, I set out to be this kind of organization. Guess what? We are so cool. Um, and then the third one, which is one that I get really fired up about. And that's, um, like how we got here is, uh, I'm on the board for an organization here in San Diego called business for good. And there's, I'm also a member of the Business for a Better Portland, which is basically the same model. It's a much larger organization because Portland, but it's um, here in San Diego, we essentially work with small business owners. Like every politician ever elected says small business is the backbone of our economy. 
And so we are the organization that holds them accountable for letting us inform their policies. So we practice in four specific areas here in San Diego, access to business resources, homelessness, environment and healthcare, and immigration. And so when there are relevant um, issues at hand, one of the things we're really proud of is that we were the only business organization in support of the styrofoam ban that we recent that we passed last year. We were uh, a strong business voice for the Community Choice Energy. Um, we're doing Ooh. a whole bunch. Yeah, we're actually tomorrow, I've got a meeting to like mobilize for how we're going to support the houses for San Diego, you know, the Homes for San Diegans program, which I'm so excited is going forward, even though we're in, or maybe we're in a recession. So, so yeah, so there's, you know, 50 bucks a year from every homeowner uh, can literally solve homelessness in San Diego. And this to me is a no brainer, even in a bad economy. Like, so um, yeah, so I love that organization because I, it, I, if I had known that being a business owner was going to give me more access to policymakers, yeah. I probably, I probably would have done it sooner. Like I didn't realize that this was one of the benefits. And so now it's, it's really cool. Cause I'm like, I am plugged in with local elected officials and they know who I am and I show up and I give comments and they come to our meetings and they engage with our membership and they ask us to support them when they're doing a thing. Right. And so it's a really great, um, a really great organization. I'm super proud of it. As you can, um, you know, I honor you for taking that leadership role and finding out how to get your voice heard and the voices of businesses heard in San Diego. We're such a massive county, and we, as business owners, can have a lot of pull and weight in policymaking. I. Yeah. I totally get the thrill that you're riding on right now. I'm on the state board of the Association of Environmental Professionals. And so the state government looks to us for policy around the environment. And so they will bring us to the table when bills are coming in that could affect cool. these other environmental laws. And we literally, this goes up and says, I think that you should change this word because this could affect X, Y, and Z. And it's going to affect our industry in X, Y, and Z way. And they're like, got it and like make that change so i empower yeah. those of you that are listening to this you can find ways to up, like sincerely affect change and not you, you don't have to sit at home and feel guilty and worried about everything you can find businessforgoodsd.com mm -hmm. you can find other organizations where you either have lobbyists or your group is brought into public meetings and you can stand up at the microphone mm -hmm. and have your voice heard yeah, we we are uh, we are not a nonprofit. We are actually a registered lobbying organization. All right. I mean, it's a form of a nonprofit. We're an advocacy group, I think. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's the we're we we are here to make our voices heard. That's that's the that's the point. So fun. So you said yeah. um, environmental, uh, health, immigration, homelessness, and access to resources. Access to resources. Yeah. That's really important to a stellar code too. I mean, especially with the goings ons right now um, with systemic racism and COVID and all of this stuff, we are finding ourselves like our business model is where we can contribute a portion of top line revenue to mm -hmm. actually make change. What should that change be? And yeah. so your organization business for good is a really good resource to understand and like bounce ideas off people and be like, okay, where do I want to put this money and how is it going to have the, the biggest change? Cool. 
Awesome. Well, when we have a campaign that needs sponsorship, I'll hit you guys up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, and and how did you find business for good? Was it Portland first and then you were like, oh, San Diego? No, I was was at the after party for TEDx like a few years ago. And I was talking to somebody that I knew and he knew somebody else. And that person he was like, so what do you, you know, we're just networking. He's like, so what do you do? So we started talking and he was like, oh, you need to be in this organization. <laughs> and uh, now he's my lawyer and my friend and the organization. It's just one of those things where like, um, you know, you know your people. And then it's like networking in San Diego is rough. It's my, my experience of it has always been that it's like very shallow and very transactional and like not, not really built on any sort of purpose other than like, I'm going to get drunk and get a phone number and maybe get a lead, like not really anything beyond that. And no judgment, like those things are all great, but Mm -hmm. it's not this, this other thing is a lot better. How did you hear about certified B Corps? Because like up until about a year ago, a little over a year ago, like Jess and I didn't know this thing existed. And now we're like all about it. Like this is happening. So how, what was your first interaction with it? That's a good question. And I actually think the idea just being like around entrepreneurship, like I've worked in a lot of like community organizations around um, entrepreneurship and especially like tech startups and stuff like that. And so I somehow in my travels, also I'm like a armchair behavioral uh, economist. So like I, I somewhere in my travels, I started to learn about things like triple bottom line organizations Mm -hmm. and benefit, uh, benefit corporations and stuff like that. And so um, yeah. So when I started my business, I was like, cool, what is this? How's this? And I had it in year one that it would be a goal that we would have it before the end of year four. And that's what we did. That's great. I mean, now, yeah. now uh, the, the organization that certifies you, B-Lab, they, mm-hmm. all, they now allow pending certifications for startups. Because I think, I think probably when you were getting it, you didn't have a pending. You just got the certification, right? I just got it. Yeah. Yeah, because we were in a place like we were we were doing things like I knew that we wouldn't qualify if the agency wasn't in a place to provide health insurance to our employees. Right. So there's like stuff like that where it's like, okay, we really just actually need to grow in order to demonstrate that these are the values that we have. So what were some of the the easy wins, if you will, when you went through the B Corp assessment that you knew you were going to score a bunch of points on? What aside from like having low overhead and like. Um, you know, meaning no like um, negative externalities like carbon emissions and stuff. What what were some of the other things? So I think our two biggest strength categories were in um, community, in in community and in team, whatever that means, leadership management. I um, have always had a really diverse team um, in lots of different ways. So um, that plus, you know, like, um, great benefits. Like I'm a very ethical employer shock. Right. Um, and so that part was really easy. Like things, things that we had always embraced, um, flexible work time, work from home, um, you know, healthy environments from beginning to end, 
not a big, not a big uh, gap between what the boss gets paid and what the team gets paid. Right. Like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the other thing was the, the clients, because we worked with um, like small and big nonprofits, also like for profits, um, also local organizations. So all of those things sort of give you, um, you know, give you points. Um, and that's, that it was basically those two things. And why did you, I know that you, we know that you attract uh, women and people of color and you want to work with those people. Why? What is the why behind that? So uh, it's based on the premise that if there are more women and um, black indigenous people of color owners, business owners, then there is more wealth in those populations, which means they have more power, which means that we are building a more inclusive economy. Like that's, for me, it's a very, very straight line of like, I'm just trying to make the world a better place. Like I have a hammer, this is what we're gonna do. So I, I, I love to turn down work that's brought to me by like, you know, cause I still, I get lots of referrals and I, I try to make sure that my referral partners know that I, uh, straight white dude comes to me and asks me for marketing there's they can't they can't have it sorry they can work with anybody they don't need they don't need what I have I love so there's with within that within so you have like your target client is there anything else like as type of service or industry that you work with or is it more about the the ownership and like the yeah no it's like after that it doesn't matter yeah and it's because the thing we do is so specific right? It's like back to this thing of like strategy. We're going to figure out who you are and who you're talking to and like, what's the right way to connect those things. And our clients benefit from the fact that we have done that in all kinds of different industries for all, for businesses of all different shapes and sizes, right? Like we worked with a, um, a venture backed, uh, SaaS startup that was led by a woman CEO, right? Like your classic Silicon Valley, um, startup. And that was amazing. And you learn so much from that, that then you can take and apply to um, your neighborhood shop, you know, so like, I just were the point is that if you're thinking about your audience, in a careful way, and you're thinking about your own time, and how you're spending it in a strategic way, right, as, as like the entrepreneur who's doing their own marketing, like when you when you get nail those two things down, the context is really doesn't matter, and our clients benefit from the fact that I've seen all these different things. So, absolutely. I mean, one of our like the purpose of our podcast is to connect people with the knowledge and resources they need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. And I see you doing that. You're just like I have this breadth and depth of experience. And I'm going to pull all these wits and wisdoms and resources and give it to all kinds of different people, so long as they are women and BIPOC. Yeah, yeah, they have to be making the world a better place. <laughs> but but I don't care. But honestly, like a, a woman, like I had, I was at a, an event and I was talking to this black woman and she was like, so, but if I want to be a real estate developer, then you couldn't be my, my person. I was like, yeah, of course I can. She's like, but that's not purpose driven. I'm like, you're a black entrepreneur. That's a purpose. Like, I don't need you to make the world a better place. Just the fact of your success makes the world a better place, right? If I get to contribute to that, I'm good. 
So that yeah, is, and it's it's super yeah. fun because I've got it now in all these different models, right? Like I'll do it. This is this is my new my new favorite consulting gig. We don't do agency, um, we don't do the agency services anymore. So like I'm, I'm gonna tell you what needs to be written, but I'm not gonna have the team to do it for you. So that, but it comes in like all different shapes and sizes where it's literally like, okay, one-to-one, you want me to help your organization co-create your strategy and then I'll hold you accountable and support you in that. That's, that's, you pay for that. You pay real money for that. And then there's a like small group setting that I do with like, um, like accelerators and like as adjunct events, you know, adjunct to conferences and stuff like that, where it's like 10 or 12 organizations at a time. And we'd go through the exact same thing. And then. I did it once already this year. My goal is once a quarter to do like a pro bono version where it's just free and we like open it up and invite anybody who applied and they can, they'll like come to the courses and they'll get office hours for support and, you know, hopefully that's useful to them too. So it's like a sort of choose your own adventure size. (laughs) Oh, choose one, the red pill or the blue pill. Yeah. (laughs) And so with Diamond and Branch, what's, what's the future hold? What, what are your goals yeah. for moving ahead? I, right now, my goals are this, this new model. This new collaboration model is different for us. Um, we were not in a super strong position before the pandemic, and we were working for some hospitality brands, so we lost a good chunk of our revenue. Um, I use the PPP loan to bring everybody back and keep everybody paid. But with that gone, the business actually isn't sustainable as it, as it is right now, which is like, it's heartbreaking. I'm going to, I don't even know how I feel about it. Um, but basically what happened in the months, you know, since March is that I've been getting this feedback from, from clients and from, and from prospects that were saying, we can do the work ourselves. We just need you to tell us what it should, what it should look like. Like you do the plan. And so that's where this new consulting model came from, where we like co-create your strategy and then turn you loose to go do it. And so I really started that is response. Olive. I, I know. Olive. <laughs> I love her. I don't know what she's barking at is the worst part. Hey. <laughs> okay, sorry. So, right in the middle of my pitch, man. <laughs> so, the idea um, that paying an outside agency right now in this moment is a much harder sell than paying a consultant to come in and basically do like capacity building with an internal team, right? Feels like an interesting experiment. So, um, so that's really, that's actually where I am. Like, this is an experiment. If I can sell enough to make, make it work, then um, I'll be really excited about it. And uh, if I can't, then I'll look for a job. I think that you can do this. We think we can, you can do this. I mean, it, it makes sense because what you're selling is like, you're, you're an expert advisor and you're going to these people and you're just really supporting and helping them, like you said, co-create, Yeah. which is what we do. Jessa and I go around to businesses and we're not telling them exactly what they need to do and what their financial goals need to be and their sustainability goals. We're co-creating those ideas based on what what would make them feel really good and happy and all those good, good things. Well, we're just gonna help you help you do that. There's a market for you. I believe in, in Diamond and Branch. This is gonna work out. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm really excited about it because 
before I started doing this, this whole thing started as like a boot camp style workshop that we were doing for purpose-driven organizations and small and new nonprofits really, right? Like those, those organizations that are like completely under-resourced for their marketing, like the, the um, receptionist is the one in charge of the social media, like that sort of organization. And I like wrote this curriculum with a friend of mine to do a one day workshop and like really, really dig in and get it done. And what I realized is that I really missed teaching. I really missed teaching. And this scratches that itch for me in a, in a really good way. So I, again, it feels like a, a nice moment to have like lots of things that I care about and, and enjoy doing sort of coming together. Absolutely. That's purpose driven in itself. That's great. Use your skills, teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Try it. (laughs) So with that, we would like to wrap up with our three point landing, the three key takeaways that you want our audience to walk away with. And remember, because you've given us such good content. Let's pare it down to three little bits. Okay. Well, I think, so for me, I think the biggest one is the idea that just being a woman business owner or a black entrepreneur, like whatever, like that's a purpose all by itself because, because the more of those we have, the more that trickles through to equality and opportunity in lots of different places. So like first big takeaway is, Oh my gosh, you're your own cause just being an entrepreneur. Um, I think we can go back to the, to the, the, um, what I was saying about delegation and people, you can only trust someone's yes when they commit to a thing, if they have the freedom to say no. Um, I love that one, by the way, that's, it's hard. I mean, you have to be a real specific, you as a leader, you need to get yourself into a place where that makes, it's, it's not obvious. Um, I don't know. What's it, what, you guys have a third one that felt like really big and important? Well, the one that I had written was the doer needs to be empowered to say no, because otherwise, uh. <laughs> so you just, you got it. I mean, I think Jess and I both feel like that was like, whew, that's a big one. Yeah. It's really important to growth. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's the last one is actually about the work that I do, which is that, um, uh, like getting your marketing right in the very early stages of your organization can give you tremendous opportunity as you grow, right? If you get that one piece right early, it's so easy to neglect it as an entrepreneur. You're like, there's other things I know how to do. And there's right then those things are easier and whatever. And, but it's an investment that needs to be made. And the sooner you make it, the better off your organization will be in the long term. Here, here. I agree. Take your time. Do it. Don't skip it. People that cut corners, I'll just deal with it later. Don't skip it. Yeah. Yeah. Figure out, figure out what is the MVP of your marketing and commit to it. That's great. Thank you, Lindsay. This is wonderful. Yeah, it's so great to talk to you guys. Yeah. We will see you again soon. And now, for sign off, send it, Jessa. 
Thanks for listening and visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R dot C-O for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. Foxhole Studios specializes in audio production and can work remotely to meet your audiovisual needs whether you live in San Diego or not. Getting a podcast started? Contact the team at info at foxholestudios.com for any and all inquiries.